the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, joining us on today's program, a very special guest and a gentleman who spent a lifetime in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I'm sure as our conversation develops, you'll hear his heartbeat, his passion for the place he calls home. He is the founding and senior pastor of St. Paul Tabernacle Baptist Church in the city of San Francisco. And it's our privilege to have joining us on the program today, Bishop Dr. Greg Valentine. Dr. Valentine, welcome. Amen. Amen. Welcome. Thank you. A San Francisco native. Those those are kind of rare these days. <laughs> Most <laughs> folks you run into talk about they came from here, there, the San Francisco Bay Area, California, to be sure, has always been a magnet for folks coming from other parts of the country, other parts of the world, seeking opportunity. But you're actually a Bay Area native. Tell us a little bit about your, your background and family history in the city. Let's see, I'm born and raised here in the city of San Francisco. Uh, I was born in, uh, in, in the uh, community or neighborhood of Bernal Heights, which, you know, most of us from there, we call Cortland Street. Um, my mom and dad moved uh, to Bernal Heights in uh, 1958 is when the house was purchased. And I, I was born in the 60s uh, <laughs> in that part. And I have... Um, uh, three, three brothers and three sisters, biological. And then my parents adopted four kids underneath me. I was the youngest, you know, and so my parents adopted four kids and, uh, two of my brothers went home to be with the Lord, uh, 2018. And then my mom went home in 2019. So, um, reared here in San Francisco in, in, um, I went to public school early on, and then I went to uh, St. Paulus Lutheran School, uh, and then from there graduated, went to Bridgemont High School, which is a college preparatorial, which was a Christian high school. And uh, my last year of high school, uh, I was I, I wind up going to Woodrow Wilson High School, which was a night and day experience to say the least, uh, to go from public, go from public school to private school, majority of my, uh, upbringing. And then my last year to go to a public school, I went from a school that was predominantly closed in. It was closed campus to a school that had no boundaries. And I want to say that kind of balanced me out. I got to see both sides of the world at that moment. So yeah, I'm a, Born, in, born San Francisco native, love my Giants, love my 49ers. Uh, since the Warriors have come back to San Francisco, no one hate me for that. I am definitely a <laughs> San Francisco Warriors fan. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, thanking God. You have seen tremendous changes in the city in your lifespan. And, and to be sure, the word that you mentioned in terms of describing the contrast between 
public education versus private education is characterizing the the public education as being without boundaries and and certainly for native san franciscans we look at the city and look at the enormous changes in the last probably 20 something years and feel as if yeah there's that sense that the city that knows how forgot how to and is ever increasingly becoming a city without boundaries. Speak to that, if you would, Bishop, particularly from the standpoint of of where things are in the city with the church. And I raise that question because uh, San Francisco, for most of its early history, uh, to be sure, I guess if you go back to the tawdry days of the gold rush, you had a bar on just about every corner. And then by the time you got well into the 20th century, there was a church on just about every corner. But today we see areas like San Francisco struggling. Some of the lowest church capita attendance anywhere in the country is right here at the place we call home in the Bay Area. Why do you think that is? Why why do do you think we've we've kind of become attracted to this without boundaries reputation? And, And from a spiritual and biblical perspective, what do you think that presents in terms of a challenge before the church today? Well, I started noticing a shift um, in church awareness, church attendance. I want to say after the 89 earthquake, that older generation of believers in San Francisco really built a foundation for us today. But what what has taken place after the 89 earthquake, we started seeing a shift and a change within our communities here in the city. Uh, people who did not was not born and raised here, who didn't know the city, didn't know our structure from other areas came in. And then we started seeing a, a, a change, a dynamic change. Um, then that generation uh, of, of baby boomers, that generation of the ones from the golden years, the silent years, started to die off. And when that happened, there was no more structure. There was no one here who was left to say, this is the way we do church. This is the way you do it. When I was coming up, you had to go to church. Uh, I went to a small church called Tree of Life Baptist Church. The pastor was blind. He could not see, but he could preach the word of God. That structure is gone. And so those of us that are left here now, we're trying to go back to that structure, but we're dealing with a generation of the millennials, the the, the, the Y generation, the Z generation that says, why do I have to go? What is my reasoning? And they want to know where in the Bible does it say, forsake not the assemblings of the gatherings? Why do I have to show up and see God? Can't God see me where I am? <laughs> this is this is what it said. So today, if if the church is going to survive in San Francisco, and I must say, uh, San Francisco, I was told, was the number one place uh, that was the hardest to pastor. And I said, God, you could send me anywhere then. I mean, you know, if this is the hardest place to pastor, Send me somewhere else where it's easier. But that's not what God sees for the remnant that's left. Because this generation needs to know God. This generation here, this city has already a reputation, 
but this generation does not know God the way we knew God, the way we saw God, the way God um, manifested himself in our life, the experience we had with God. Reading the word of God is, is so important for this generation that is so in tuned to, I need it now. I need the microwave now. Um, I remember you couldn't go into a church without a Bible. Now we can go into the church with our cell phones, our laptops, and you got to have your Bible app on your on your phone or your smart device. And and I tell you something, Craig is when I'm preaching, I always remind people download your Bible app because you never leave home without your phone. You'll never leave home without your Bible. It's important for us to do that to get back to the biblical foundations, the biblical standards, the precepts that was given to us a long time ago. I'm now doing a series on loving your neighbors yourself, loving the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. So I'm I'm bringing our congregation back to the basic roots of those 10 commandments that we summon to. Because every time we get to the resurrection or Easter Sunday, as we like to call it, we forget about what God has done for us to get us to this point. So I'm actually going backwards using the Ten Commandments backwards, starting with those, uh, what we do with our neighbor first. In San Francisco, if we remember who our neighbors are, not just the people next door to us, but in every community as our neighbor, someone, oh, I hate to say this, but when I look at the things that is that are that are going on in our neighborhoods, uh, with a lot of the violence and the crime, the church has to speak up louder. The church has to make noise. The church has to be um, the ones who are standing up for righteousness. If we're not going to do it, we can't expect the world to do it. Our conversation today with Bishop Dr. Greg Valentine, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Tabernacle Baptist Church of San Francisco. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with the senior pastor of St. Paul Tabernacle Baptist Church of San Francisco, Bishop Dr. Greg Valentine. Bishop Valentine, I want to come back to where we left off just prior to the break. First, it strikes me what you're talking about is in a sense describing the cyclical nature of man's fallen condition. I mean, for example, Scripture tells us very clearly, train up a child in the way he should go. Yes. Not unlike yourself, when I was a young boy growing up, church was not an option. It was an obligation. Yep. That's where you went on Sunday, or you would show up to church with one ear significantly stretched <laughs> out of shape because my father would have had it and drug it across town to make sure that I was in that pew Sunday morning. Many of those lessons that I learned about life, about how to conduct oneself, about God's standard, carries me through adulthood. And I suppose certainly as we see in the very beginning, as notated within the book of Genesis, the questioning of God, hath God said, right? The serpent, hath God said. And then we fast forward into a period of time in San Francisco 
most notably in the 60s and 70s and you had you know the beatnik generation and hippies and protesting the vietnam war question authority was a very important ideal that was being elevated in places like san francisco and and suddenly the notion of well we need certain foundations we have to provide a child with training we need to make sure that a child understands and therefore we will obligate them to be ingrained in God's word, to be a part of church life as a young person suddenly became, well, you know, we don't want to force you and you'll make your own decisions. And after all, isn't that what freedom and choice is all about? And certainly we see throughout scripture that that God supports the notion of freedom of choice. He doesn't violate our own free will, but he also delineates the fact that in the exercising of that free will, if we make the wrong choices, there are consequences. And I'm just wondering, Bishop, from your perspective, is that part of the problem here, that there's been a kind of a lost generation because this notion of compelling children in God's word to be a part of church, to be trained up and raised up with these values was kind of left as a, you know, an option. And as a result, as man always does in our fallen condition, we took the wide way. We took the easy way out. That's correct. You know, and we have to we have to be careful because... My mother used to always say, hey, don't run out in the street. Sometimes she would tell me, don't do certain things without giving me an explanation. But as I got older, I knew when my mother said something, she meant very well in her statement because she knew what the consequences would be for me, how detrimental it would be. Same thing with God. When God told us, worship no other God, because he's a jealous God. Not only is he a jealous God, but he's the only one that created us. When God uh, told us about thou shall not kill, thou shall not steal, there was consequences behind that. If we live in a society today with no morals, with no consequences, with anything behind it, that's where we start getting the notion of what so a man thinketh, so he does. Whatever is good in his own heart, he'll do. But can I just tell you, Brother Craig, is that this? Every man's heart is desperately wicked. Can you imagine just doing what you want to do without any boundaries? We all need boundaries. Imagine if you could just drink and drive and there was no consequence. The reason why people don't drink and drive because they don't want to die. They don't want to kill anyone and they don't want to go to jail. There's there. We have to have boundaries. The Bible teaches us that. God definitely gives us free will. He gives us free choice. God allows us to do what we want to do. But at the same time, when it's out of his will, when it's not in his plan for us, there is consequences. The believers, we know when God tells us the road to him, his path is straight and narrow. But the rest of the world says, yeah, but there are some turns. There are some bumps along the ways. We know that. That's all a part of life. But I still need to walk straight and narrow because that's his will for me. I'm I can drink. I'm over 21 if I wanted to. But because I know that's not his will for my life. And I know the consequences and I know what could happen if I do that. Everyone can't drink for whatever reason in their life. It's, it just doesn't mesh with them. Now, when we look at today's society of everyone asking questions, why, why, I don't like when the pastor says this, 
why do I have to, to, to give 10% of my offering or my tithes? Why do I have to show up at 1045 on Sunday? You know, uh, uh, why do we have to clap this way or sing this way? The, this is the things that God required us to do. And those are the, oh my God, those are the things that when we don't do them, we become disobedient to his will. I, I want to share with people that when you disobey the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth, you're telling God, I don't believe what you're saying is true. So I'm going to do it my way. Brother Craig, I tell you, when we try to do it our way, we always mess up our way. And we need someone to come back and fix it for us. Can I tell you, there's been so many times in life I've tried to do things my way. <laughs> And my way always got me in trouble. I am not above reproach. I'm not above God's correction. And, and no matter the age or, or your, your time in life, you need guidance, boundaries. I thank God that he saved me when he did. I thank God he called me when he did. My life was on a, a destructive path, even though I knew right from wrong. And every time God got me out of situations I knew I should not have done, guess what? I said, thank you, Lord. God, I won't do it again. And guess what, Craig? <laughs> I went back and did it again. But God chastised me so many times. There were so many times, can I tell you, I should not be here. When I look back at how God blessed me, how God brought me to a place of repentance, that place of repentance says to me, this is God's mercy. This is his grace. And because of that, I have to walk in it. I'm walking in his mercy. I'm walking in his grace. And, you know, the irony is I think sometimes, and the enemy, of course, stokes this this incorrect belief that we think, well, all these rules and regulations, God is just the big killjoy up in the sky. He's just trying to ruin my party. Why does he have to put all up? put up all of these barriers, thou shalt not this, you need to do that. And, you know, it, it, it strikes me, anybody, for example, that has traveled uh, the highway coast number one here in, in California, yes, that, that traverses almost the entirety of the state, and, and yep. along that coast, boy, there's gorgeous beauty, and there's winding curves and turns all along yes. the way. But you'll also notice that all along the way, there are barriers, Yes. Those barriers are put up because while what you may see looks beautiful, if you take a wrong turn and wind up falling 35 feet down a rocky cliff into the Pacific Ocean, you'll likely lose your life. Absolutely. And so barriers are put up along the way to prevent things from happening, bad things from happening. And I suppose that's true, too. Maybe part of the issue here is, and perhaps you can speak to this, uh, Bishop Valentine, the, the notion that in the bit of our rebellious spirit here, we fail to recognize that the Scripture says, if you love me, obey me. If you love me, keep my commandments. And we think God is trying to be a killjoy when instead what he's essentially trying to do is to save us from ourselves, to protect us from our fallen sin nature. We fail to see that, think God is just a big killjoy up in the sky, and all the time perhaps have deluded ourselves into thinking we are loving him when in reality we're just engaging in rebellion. Absolutely. I thank God for boundaries. 
without boundaries, like I said earlier, uh, I I wouldn't be here. Without boundaries, uh, I'd be locked in prison. Without boundaries, I would, you know, I would probably be out on skid road, strung out on drugs or something. Without boundaries, I wouldn't know who God is. His boundaries, which is the blood, saved me from where I am. God is not a killjoy, but I still have fun in Christ. I still have fun in who I am. Uh, It's funny you say that because people think, you know, ministers, pastors, bishops, we don't have fun. We're all about wearing our, our liturgical clothing. And, you know, when we see people have fun, we want to uh, uh, point our finger at them and say there is no fun because God told us there's no fun in the kingdom. But no, being a Christian, a believer, I have a lot of fun, but I know my boundaries. I know uh, for a believer what what fun is. And when you take things too far, guess what? It's no longer fun. The children of Israel, let's say this. Moses left the scene. Moses was speaking to God in the mountain. They said, oh, Moses, we haven't heard from him. He might be dead or whatever they thought about Moses. Moses speaking to God. What did they do? They built this golden calf. They danced around it. They had a party. They worshiped the golden calf. When Moses came down, he spoke for God. They thought this was the right thing to do. It's fun. Why can't we do it this way? because this is not the way of God. Just because I go to church on Sunday doesn't mean I don't laugh. I, while I'm preaching, you might get a joke up there every so often. <laughs> it's not always stern and to the point. I'm very transparent. Uh, when I make mistakes, you know, being the pastor, everyone knows it, you know, because you're, you're always in the limelight somehow. But in making those mistakes, that's the boundaries. God knows how to bring you back. God uses boundaries to bring us back to him. But just imagine a child bowling for the very first time. And they see these 10 pins and they're so excited to hit the 10 pins. Every time they come up, this child throws his bowling ball, but it goes to the right, it goes to the left. It goes in the gutter. They're very discouraged now. I don't wanna bowl anymore. I don't care about this bowling. I'm so upset with it and they're frustrated and they're done. Here comes God. He places the boundaries so you're able to go straight down and hit the 10 pins. You are no longer discouraged at every trial that you have. It was fun for me as a child learning how to bowl because when the boundaries came up, I understood, okay, I can't go too far to my right and I can't go too far to my left. I need to stay centered. Prior to that, when there were no boundaries, I didn't know how to curb the ball. I didn't know how to keep the ball straight. The ball would either go to the right or to the left. In Christ, without boundaries, you just like you said, you'll go off the cliff. But in this way, you'll go outside the lanes and you'll go into the gutter on either side. If you go past the uh, foul line when bowling, that's your boundary. You have just a little bit of room. So as a child, I learned how to bowl better inside of my boundaries. Now as an adult, as I walk through life because of my boundaries, because I know what Christ wants me to do, because I read his word, because I speak to him, those are my boundaries. I know in life I can't do certain things because it goes against the will of God.
Our conversation today with Bishop Dr. Greg Valentine, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Tabernacle Baptist Church of San Francisco. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with the senior pastor of St. Paul Tabernacle Baptist Church of San Francisco, Bishop Dr. Greg Valentine. Bishop Valentine, I want to come back to where we left off just prior to the break. Bishop, I want to circle back to something you made reference to a little bit earlier on. You mentioned about being in the middle of a sermon series addressing the Great Commission and the Greatest Commandment. And I'm struck by the fact that it seems today that the the church somehow struggles in understanding and applying these two. Of course, the Great Commission to go into all the world, preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that none should perish, but all should have everlasting life, right? We understand that as a, sort of the, the fundamental of, of our faith and, and uh, God's desire to be reconciled and have relationship with his creation. And, and then, of course, the greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with our all of our heart, mind, body, soul, and our neighbor as ourselves, And I'm curious about something from your perspective. In today's environment, particularly degrees to which seemingly the church has become, in some areas, almost supercharged with a political agenda. And I hear it often said by people that say, well, you know, we're bringing heat to Sacramento. We're bringing heat to Washington, D.C. And I have to wonder, fundamentally, is it's the church calling to bring heat or to bring light? The church calling is to always bring light. We have to enlighten all of our politicians. If we're not enlightening them of what God's word says and we're only bringing heat, we're just adding fuel to the fire. First of all, they look at us talking about the world. The world looks at us and says, oh, you fanatics, you guys only want to preach this. You only want this one-way deal, but you never come with a, a better solution. The only solution I know is in Christ. First of all, uh, Craig, Christ gives us wisdom. Whenever we approach a table, a situation, we have to approach it with wisdom. Asking God, what is it you want me to do? What is it you want me to say? How does this benefit you? Not necessarily me, but how does God get the glory of all of this? Whenever I deal with politicians, whenever I deal with uh, legislation, uh, things for our community, uh, even at work, because I still work a full-time job, I'm always thinking, what would Christ say in my situation? What, how is God looking at me? Am I coming here with my own agenda? Am I coming here with my own purpose or the way I interpret Scripture that it should say what I think it should, should be at this point? I don't care if we're talking about abortion situations. I don't care if we're talking about human rights or civil rights. Um, if we're talking about same-sex marriage, whatever it is, we have to have uh, Christ. We have to have the Lord in the middle of what we're dealing with. The way Jesus approached the situations, he always spoke to, he always spoke to his Father. He always spoke in wisdom. He could have kicked down doors a lot of times and just made everybody feel uncomfortable and no one got anything done. But he spoke with wisdom on every hand. When I look at every situation and I think of 
people as my neighbor. How would I want people to deal with me? It's what I look at every day. I'm constantly reminding myself, how do I want people to deal with me? First of all, if you don't mind me saying, I'm six foot one, uh, African-American guy, uh, slightly over 150 pounds, <laughs> slightly. <laughs> <laughs> well over 250 pounds, <laughs> well over, I should say. And I know when people see me first off at first glance, because of what uh, things have been portrayed in the media or the way uh, things have, people have uh, shown themselves, the stereotype says, be careful of this guy. But I first, when I look at people, I look at myself because everyone is not the bad guy. There are some bad people, but I speak with wisdom first. I see people the way I would want them to see me. When I deal with a situation uh, in the community, when I deal with situation with politicians or lawmakers, whatever it may be, I don't go in looking at them as Democrat, Republican, this one is good, that one's bad, or they're all bad. I I'm looking at it as, how can I help in this situation? How can I help them see the better good for everyone, even though sometimes you can't get to that point? And that's where we need to come back to the table. And, you know, you're, you're bringing up, I think, a very important issue that needs to be uh, really highlighted. And that is that there seems to be a paradigm shift happening. And again, I want to be careful that this is not meant to be a characterization across the board. But in a broader generalization, we're seeing a paradigm shift where suddenly we look at people with whom we do not share the same political ideals, moral ideals, and we say, well, if you don't think the way I do, you're my enemy. And I think what's happening is the true enemy of our soul is getting off scot-free. And by characterizing the one that we're supposed to be loving for Christ, not as a person who is struggling because they do not have a faith relationship with Jesus, not a person that um, has never been enlightened by the scripture, but rather see them as an enemy. Well, what happens? You know, when we take up arms, scripture, scripture tells us, right, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Are we getting ourselves into very dangerous territory here by characterizing those that we should be reaching for Christ, not as a person in need of a savior, but rather as our enemy? Absolutely. That is a, a slippery sword we're going to slide on because if you're not looking at people as your neighbor and only as your enemy, guess what? The whole world's going to be your enemy. Everyone you encounter is going to be your enemy. People in the church who may vote Democrat, Republican, people in the church who may not agree with your social issues, people that you sit with in your own congregation may agree with same sex marriage and others may not. Others may agree with abortion. Others may not. You'll start looking at everyone as your enemy. Then you'll say, I'm never going back to church again because they got all this political stuff going. No one listens to me. No one hears what I'm saying. Brother Craig, I have to say this. We have to go back to biblical standards. What does the Bible say? Period. I never want to add what I feel it says. I want to bring out what it says. There's a difference from isogeting the text and exogeting the text. You have one group that says, I'm going to make it say what I want it to say. But then there's another group that says, hey, this is what Scripture teaches alone. Not my opinions, not my feelings. 
you have to love everybody. If I only love you because you dress like I do, or you go to the same church I do because you look like I do, we're on this slippery slope now. And I found the church doing just that. I only want to associate with people that fit into my parameters. If we get into habit of realizing who died for the world, that we have a church, if we realize we're not the owners, but we are the caretakers, we are the trustees of the church, we are to take care of what he's given us, we are the stewards and not the owners, Christ is the owner, he's the head of the church. If we come back to that realization that I'm taking care of this for him, and I want to bring everyone to Christ as much as possible, because the reason why I say that is, I tell people, hell is a prepared place for unprepared people. When I leave this earth and stand in the presence of God, I don't want him to say, I told you to bring this person to me. You didn't do it because you had your own agenda. Or you didn't bring this person in because you felt this person didn't have the right clothing. Or this person was a Democrat. Or this person was a Republican. This person believed in this. This person... But I told you to bring everyone to the cross because I want to set all men free. That's where I want to stand with God. Our conversation today with Bishop Dr. Greg Valentine, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Tabernacle Baptist Church of San Francisco. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with the senior pastor of St. Paul Tabernacle Baptist Church of San Francisco, Bishop Dr. Greg Valentine. Bishop Valentine, I want to come back to where we left off just prior to the break. And in the end, if you look at the challenge that Jesus himself left initially to the disciples, he talked about going to prepare a place, but that he was going Mm -hmm. to send the comforter. And that comforter, the Holy Spirit, would empower us to be his witnesses. Sadly, I think sometimes today we get so caught up in trying to get people signed up to become believers in our cause or fellow members of our party, whatever the case might be, instead of recognizing that the fundamental task that was given to each and every one of us was to go and make disciples. And I think instead of seeing people as our enemy, to instead see them as Christ sees them, as a sinner in need of a Savior, like all of us. Amen. I I totally agree. That's what we should be about, how Christ can take everything that you have and that concept of nailing it to the cross. And I want to say this, uh, Brother Hank Hanegraaff used to say he was hung up for my hangups. That spoke life into me. He was hung up for my hangups. I had so, he used to say I had some more hangups than a dry cleaner, you know, and, and that's how I actually felt. And I wanted to give that experience the love that I needed. I have, I have a mother, I have a father, I have siblings. We all lived in the same house. They gave me love, but there was still something missing, that unconditional love. Even though I'm, I'm at my worst, he still loves me. And that's what I wanted to give to San Francisco. I was, I'm born and raised here. I worked here. I went to school here. I have doctors here, friends here. Everything I knew was in San Francisco, one of the hardest places to minister, to pastor. But I believe the love of God could still shine bright 
in San Francisco. Toward that end, Bishop, let's talk a bit about the ministry of St. Paul Tabernacle Baptist Church. Uh, You're meeting there in the city, of course, at 1789 Oakdale Avenue in the city. Give us a bit of a profile. Folks that maybe are new to the San Francisco Bay Area in search of a new church home, what will they find in the congregation of St. Paul Tabernacle? We were a church that was in a lot of debt. The Lord gave me a vision and said, within five years, this was 2015, You'll pay the building off. You'll be debt-free. You'll be able to help people. Well, 2019, which was our fourth year, we became debt-free. Wow. We burned our mortgage. And I'm, I'm very grateful to God. And I'm grateful to the members that took up the rally, did whatever they needed to do to make sure we were debt-free. We were about $300,000 in the hole. Paid it off in San Francisco. So I'm grateful to God. In God being faithful to us, We have a food ministry. We give away some thousands and thousands of pounds of food every Friday. When the pandemic hit, all of that stopped. We are now just like every other church. We are rebuilding. We are starting back up our food program in the month of June. I am at this point looking for people to come to serve, to say, hey, I want to be a part of this ministry. I want to be a part of the youth ministry. I want to be a part of the men's ministry. I'm here to help serve the youth in the community, clothes that we could slightly use, clothes that we could no longer uh, fit because they became too small. We became too big for the clothes, but they were still in good, good usage. We're giving away clothes. We just gave things away. We try to help people as much as we can in our community. We are a church, Craig, that we tell people to come as you are, not as you want, because coming as you are is... Lord, accept me for who I am. Here I am. Just take me as I am. St. Paul is a church that is a loving church. You come in, we love on you. We tell people to come in, enjoy the worship experience. We want to present Christ to everyone, not just one particular group. And so some of the people that come to our church are not black people. They're from every nationality. We get everyone that walks through those doors. We wear our masks. We've been vaccinated. The whole deal. But we tell people today, just come. Come and experience Christ. We're getting back to our uh, Sunday morning breakfast, afternoon lunch on Sundays, all of those fellowship times that we're getting back to. We're so excited to be a part of San Francisco and the community of San Francisco. St. Paul is a good place, safe place, wonderful place, and I'm glad to be their pastor for the last seven years. Bishop, that sense of community connectivity, in growing where God has planted you, in acknowledging many of the felt needs, as you talked about, providing clothing, providing food, particularly now, as we see so many folks that are struggling. And, you know, we want to be able to proclaim the love of Jesus, and yet it's difficult to say that to a starving person, that we want to share God's love but don't want to share a meal. And so being sensitive to some of those felt needs, just as Jesus demonstrated during his ministry on earth, critically important as we establish who we are as the church, demonstrate Christ's love, and then I think we'll be surprised if we do so, um, that as we are found faithful, God will be faithful as we go about his business, the master's business in making disciples. God will therefore bless those efforts increase the ministry, and look forward to a time where Scripture encourages us to strengthen those tent stakes 
to be ready for God to pour out a blessing and certainly give the increase in terms of steam more come to the altar, more coming to the cross of Christ. Bishop, for folks that uh, would like to get more information, we mentioned again that you're meeting Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m., and that service is both live in person as well as on the Internet for folks that uh, are not quite comfortable perhaps yet uh, in the face of COVID to, uh, to be meeting in a public fashion. So you can participate in the worship service Sunday mornings online. Details available at St. Paul TAB abbreviation for tabernacle st paul t-a-b-b-c for baptist church dot o-r-g we're so excited like i said to get back into our food ministry clothes giveaway but we are excited now to uh revamp our youth department our youth programs things of that nature i am looking to set up a uh non-profit for uh computers i'm looking to do all of those things i'm focusing in on the men. I want to be able to bring men to Christ. I want men to deal with men. We're, we have a ministry that's called uh, Men of Character. And so uh, that's one of the areas where we realize churches um, um, are not strong at is the men's ministry. So our Men of Character's ministry is where, uh, where we are focusing in on helping the man be exactly who God called him to be. And again, if you want to get more information about the ministry of St. Paul Tabernacle Baptist Church, they're meeting at 1789 Oakdale Avenue in San Francisco. You can call area code 415-642-4965 for more information. That's 415-642-4965 or find them on the web at stpaultabbc.org. That's stpaultabbc.org. .org. Bishop Dr. Greg Valentine, Pastor, thanks so much for uh, your sharing your heart, sharing what God is doing at St. Paul, and spending some valuable time with us today. We sure appreciate your time. Thank you, and God bless you. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.